Thank you, brother. Good morning, church. Welcome here. What a joy it is to spend some of this day together with you and to hear your voices lifted up in worship. And that just really stirs my heart and my faith uh, to hear your voices. And just to know that many of you are also worshiping at home with us, together with us in spirit. And just what a beautiful picture that must be to God to see people gathered here, but then scattered in homes in our region, but all together, all together for one purpose, which is to worship our God and to, uh, to hear from Him. Well, imagine you had never heard the story before that you just heard. You didn't know the story of Jesus. And you came to that point where you heard this account of Jesus, this one who had done incredible miracles and powerful teaching, riding into the capital city, Jerusalem, on a donkey in fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy that when the king that God would send would come, he would come riding on a donkey. And these crowds gather and they hail him as king. And uh, you're at this point in the story and you don't know what happens next because you've never heard this story before. What do you think would happen? What do you think comes next? Probably not the cross, right? I mean, you would probably expect that what happens next is he is he is, is dressed in kingly robes and maybe a golden crown is put on his head and he's brought to the palace where he sits on the throne and reigns as king. But you know the story, don't you? And you know that's not how it goes. You know that instead Jesus was stripped of his robes, mocked, humiliated, beaten. You know that thorns were fashioned into a crown and pressed upon his head. And you know that he was taken And he was hung on a cross to die an agonizing death in seeming defeat. You wouldn't have expected the cross. You you ever thought what a strange thing it is to wear the cross? Now, some of you, if you've walked in here today, have noticed you've got a cross hanging around your neck on a chain. Maybe you've got a cross dangling from your ears. Some of you, those of you that are really cool, you've got a cross inked on your body somewhere. Maybe someday I'll work up the courage. We've got the cross proudly displayed in our building and on the front of our building, and it's the first thing you see when you drive up to New Life Church is the cross. You ever really considered how strange that is, that this symbol that really represents what to the Romans was just kind of The the worst sort of death represented torture and execution, that this would be the symbol that represents us, that we would claim as our symbol, that represents our faith and our identity, and that we would claim that symbol unashamedly. You ever stop to think how weird that is? Like, if you saw someone that had a guillotine hanging from their ear, or a little guillotine hanging from their they're a chain on their neck, you'd probably think, that is weird. And yet here we wear the cross. We claim the cross. I'm going to talk about why that is, kind of what that represents for us who follow Jesus and our identity. And in the series that we're in, we've been looking at our identity, the identity we receive through Jesus Christ, which is for us our truest, deepest identity. I mean, we wear all sorts of labels and hats, right? Father, mother, son, daughter, wife, husband, engineer, nurse, teacher, gardener, crocheter. 
right? Sports guy. We wear all sorts of labels that are a part of our identity, and yet what we're finding is that our truest identity is found in who we are and what we have received in Jesus Christ. And so we're finishing this series next week on Easter Sunday. I'm so excited about that weekend. Uh, But we've looked at the fact that in Christ we are chosen by God. In Christ we have been forgiven. In Christ we are justified. In Christ we are made holy. In Christ we are united together. In Christ we have all our needs fulfilled. This morning we're going to look at another aspect of our identity in Christ. We're going to put on another label. We're going to find that we are victorious in Christ. But that's a long word and I'm not exactly sure how to spell it. So I've just put on my label here, winner. This morning we're going to discover that in Christ we are winners. Now, have you ever been called a loser? Put up your hand if you've ever been called a loser. Put up your hand if you've ever called yourself a loser. If you've taken on that label, right? I think we all have. Right? We've been called, we've taken on this label loser. But this morning we're going to find out what it means to be a winner in Jesus Christ. Because look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Don't turn there. We're just going to look at it briefly, and then we're going to turn our Bibles to another text. But this is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. He says, thanks to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we are victorious. In this one powerful statement, there's three truths. We are, we are victorious. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. Secondly, God has given us victory. It doesn't come from us. We didn't achieve it. It's something that's been given to us by God. And thirdly, we've received victory through Jesus Christ. We can't understand what it means to be victorious, to live in victory if we don't understand Christ's victory. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to answer three questions. What is Christ's victory? How does Christ's victory become our victory? And thirdly, what does it look like to live the victorious life? to live in victory. Let's start by asking the question, what is Christ's victory? In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, we've got a really interesting statement here. It speaks about the victory of Christ. Paul says this, Colossians 2, verse 13, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he that is Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the, say it with me, cross. Jesus triumphed, was victorious over the enemy, over these powers and authorities, which if you look in the whole context of what Paul is writing here, represents the spiritual forces of evil, of sin and Satan, all that stands against us, that would destroy us, that would seek to separate us from God, all of that has been defeated. Christ has triumphed over by the cross. 
He uses an interesting word there. It says he has disarmed the powers. Literally that word disarmed, it means he's stripped them like a robe or something. He's just torn the robe off of them. He's stripped them of their power. And so what Paul is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, he, if you can just imagine the weapon that was pointed towards you, Jesus on the cross grabbed that weapon out of the enemy's hands and turned it on them. And how did he do it? He did it by the cross. He did it by his death. And what what weapon did he disarm the enemy of? He disarmed them of the power of death. By Jesus' death, Jesus overcomes death. This is the power that Satan and that sin holds against us is the power of death, right? Death comes to us because of our sin. And Satan, I mean, he cannot kill us, but what he can do is he can, he can tempt us. His power is temptation. For Satan to have the power of death means he has the power of temptation to lead us astray, to lead us away from God into sin, which separates us from God and results in physical and spiritual death, separation from him. Paul says, by Jesus' death on the cross, he has triumphed over the power of death. Now, that's essentially what the author of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses uh, 13, or, uh, 13 and 14, he puts it this way, sorry, 14 and 15. He says, since we have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity. He too became fully human just as we are, so that by his death, He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Well, there's a lot of death in that verse, okay? He overcame the power of death, how? By his death. And so, you know, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, he says, there's some that just view the cross as foolishness. Really, you're following a guy, this supposed king, God, who died, who, who, who was defeated on the cross? He couldn't even defeat the Romans. Those that came against him, they won. They hung him on a cross, and this is your guy. Well, that's silly. Paul says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who believe it is the power of God because we understand that Jesus defeated death by using death against itself. So Paul will say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus, by his death, has taken the sting out of it. And all there is left for you now is victory through him. Jesus is victorious against everything that stood against us. Right on the cross, he said those three, maybe the most powerful, profound words in the Bible when in his final breath he said, it is finished. And what was finished? What did he finish on the cross? Well, he finished righteousness. He he did everything his father had sent him to do. He didn't fail at any turn. He did the will of God completely and fully. Where we failed, he succeeded. And when he died on that cross, 
fulfilling all righteousness. He paid the penalty for our sin. That's what Paul said in, in Colossians 2. Right? He canceled all of the debt that stood against us. Jesus paid for it all in His death, and so by His death, He, he robbed death of its power. And His death resulted in our life, our victory. So that when we receive Christ into our lives, His victory becomes our victory. Yes way. I love the cheering section in the back. Yes way. His victory becomes our victory. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, for those of you, you have believed that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for your sin, to make a way for you to belong to God and have eternal life with God. For those of you who have believed that and you've responded to that by, by putting your faith in Jesus, repenting of your sins and trusting Him as your Lord and Savior, putting your faith not in your own efforts and works but in he, what He has done for you, at that moment you became a winner. Never again to be a loser. Christ's victory became your victory. And this is how Paul puts it. And I love this. You know, man, I love Romans 8. It, it's maybe my favorite chapter in, in the Scriptures. There's so much good stuff there. And we spent some time last week in Romans 8. We looked at verses 31 and 32, you know, which said, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with giving us the son graciously give us all things? We looked at that last week, but we're going to continue we're going to continue in verse 33 to 39 when Paul goes on. He says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? For it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who can condemn you now? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then in verse 37, he gives the answer to his rhetorical question when he said, Shall any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think what he was trying to do there was cover all of his bases. Nothing can separate us from the victory that Jesus has secured for us. And I love how he expresses that in verse 37. So we're just going to kind of settle on verse 37 when he said, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now when he says all these things, which things? Well, we go back to verse 35 when he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, any of these challenges, any of these difficulties, any opposition in life that could seem to destroy you. He says all those things, it's interesting that Paul calls them who, right? He doesn't say what shall separate you from the love of Christ. He says who shall. It's almost like, man, these things that we can face, these battles in life, 
They can feel really personal. They're not impersonal. It's like actual opposition that would seek to overwhelm us and undo us. And he says, in all those things, we are, say it with me, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, have you ever considered what that means, more than conquerors? You ever read that and went, what does that mean? Like, we can kind of understand what it means to be a conqueror, right? To be a conqueror means that you defeat whatever's against you. You overcome it. But what in the world does it mean? How can you be more than that? How can you be more than a conqueror? Which is what Paul says we are through Jesus. Well, this is how uh, John Piper, kind of pastor, theologian, this is his answer to that question. He says, the biblical answer is that a conqueror defeats his enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. A conqueror strikes down his foe, but one who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave to do his bidding. In other words, to be a conqueror simply means to overcome that which is against you, to overcome the enemy, but to be more than a conqueror means to use the enemy's strength, that which would be used against you, to use it for you, for your advantage, to bring you victory. You know, and as I was thinking about this, my thoughts went back to that one year I was in judo. You know, judo is one of those martial arts. And uh, I had a neighbor who was a judo instructor, convinced me to give it a try as a kid. So I tried it for one year, got a yellow belt, watch out, I'll take you down. Don't Google yellow belt, okay? You just have to show up the three lessons that give you a yellow belt. Anyway, I tried it for a year, but I gave up because I remember this one time, there was a girl, little blonde girl, half my size, and she beat me. And so I thought, this is stupid. So I quit. And I actually got a picture of it. My mom took a picture of, of it, and this is, this is her kicking my butt there. That's kind of what judo looks like. Judo is all about throws. Actually, what, what makes judo different than other martial arts, most martial arts are called direct strike. You use your power to overpower your enemy, right? With, with, a, with a fist or with a leg, a kick, right? Karate, you strike. Judo is not a direct strike martial art. No, it's in fact the opposite. It's using the strike of your opponent against your opponent, right? So as your opponent comes at you, it's actually using the strength, right, their momentum, their power in moving to take them and throw them in the direction they were going onto the ground and then put them in a headlock, put their arm behind their back until they say uncle, okay? That's judo. You don't have to be stronger, you just have to know how to use the strength of your enemy against your enemy for your good. And that's what Paul is saying here, right? That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. In any situation you can face which would seem to be against you, and what could that be? It could be anything, right? Like right now in this room, there are so many different trials and difficulties and afflictions you're facing. Right? Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's an addiction. 
Maybe it's some mental and emotional struggle. Maybe it's relational conflict. Maybe you've been mistreated and you've got a critic or an opponent. Or maybe it's financial hardship, but, but you're facing some trial. And if you aren't today, you probably will tomorrow. Paul certainly faced all sorts of hardships. And he describes the shift in mentality from a conqueror mentality to more than a conqueror mentality. He kind of describes this realization in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. He says this. He says, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I, say it with me, delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't, he's not saying I delight in them because I enjoy this. I'm not a masochist. But I know what can happen through these afflictions. He says, I used to beg God to take it away. I said, God, this thorn, and we don't know what that thorn was, but it was something that was plaguing him. Bringing him down. He calls it a messenger of Satan to torment him. This does not seem like a good thing. Something that's out to destroy him. And he begs God to take it away until he realizes that no, actually, this is something that God is using in his life. Even if it comes from Satan. Even if it comes from the enemy to destroy. It's actually something that God can and is taking to, to not as a stumbling block, but to become a stepping stone in his life. A stepping stone to strength. So he makes a shift. Like this, this difficulty is not a stumbling block to try to get out of the way. It is a stepping stone that God has allowed into my path into something better. And so while it's a messenger of Satan to torment him, he also says God has allowed it so that he might not become conceited. It's about leading in his life to something, to something better, a greater godliness, a deeper peace, a better joy. And so he delights in that thing that he th thought was a stumbling block because now he sees, no, in fact, this is a stepping stone for him. And so John Piper would go on to say this uh, about this. He says, affliction raised his sword to cut off the heads of Paul's faith. But instead, Paul's hand of faith, he snatched that arm of affliction and he forced it instead to cut off part of his worldliness. Affliction is made the servant of godliness and humility and love for what Satan meant for evil, God intended for good. And this is what it means to be victorious in Christ, to be more than a conqueror through him who loved us. That Christ would take any affliction, any adversity against us and actually use it for our good. 
The who of your salvation is, is always greater than the who of your opposition. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Do you think that way? I mean, do, do you approach the difficulties in, in you're facing, and some of them are really hard, do, do you approach them with this label? Are you approaching it as a conqueror, something to just overcome, to get out of your life as a stumbling block? Or are you viewing this as a stepping stone that God has put in your path that brings you to something better? Do you have a winner's mentality? A winner's mentality. You know, I don't know if you ever heard that term. That's a sports term. And uh, so they, they talk about some guys, that guy's just a winner. What does that mean? That guy's just a winner. Does that mean that he's just better than everybody else? Like he can just throw the ball farther? That's not what they mean when they say that guy's just a winner. He has a winning mentality. They're talking about a, they're talking about a mindset, right? And so I Googled that. What does that mean? Because I hear it in sports all the time. What does it mean to have a winner's mentality? And so I Googled it and, and said this. It says... Uh, a, a winner, a winner sees adversity not as an obstacle to growth, but as an opportunity for growth. Adversity is not something that they avoid or reject or seek to overcome. Adversity is something that they use to become better. So your adversities, they can either define you or they can refine you. They can define you or they can refine you. And Paul says, in Christ, all adversity brings greater victory. So how do we live in victory? How do we live in victory? I mean, the, the, the first battle, it's the battle of the mind, isn't it? It's to remember that the battle's already been won. Victory isn't something that you got to wake up tomorrow and go secure. you got to achieve. No, victory in every situation you face, when you wake up tomorrow, every battle you face has already been won by Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? There's nothing that can overcome you or overwhelm you. Every battle you face has already been won by Jesus Christ. And so we got to get up in the morning and we got to go, Jesus has already won that. I mean, all I see is darkness, the darkness of night, but he sees the light of dawn. All I see is, 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 is the cross, is death, but he sees the empty tomb. He sees life. All I see is this massive mountain in my way, but he sees the mountain moved. I didn't make up those words. It's in a great song we're going to learn next week on Easter Sunday. I think our worship pastor is snickering over there. He's like, Rusty, he didn't write those words. Give credit where credit's due. We're going to sing the song next Sunday. Battle Belongs. Great song. Looking forward to worshiping God to get with you together uh, with it. But uh, the we just need to remember the goal is not to achieve victory. It, it, it's to stand in the victory that Jesus has won for us. And, and this is why you always stand firm, Christians. Stand firm. It's not like you've got to charge the hill and take the hill. Jesus already took the hill. He died on the top of the hill. We just need to stand firm in the victory that Jesus has already secured for us. So we have to know the battle has been won. That doesn't mean that we live a passive life, right? Like we just 
we just spiritually kind of sit on the couch and eat potato chips. It does, like, somehow just totally, it, it just means that we live differently. We approach our difficulties differently. So in, instead of just saying, how do I overcome this thing? How do I rid myself of this challenge? It's like, how do I use this? God, what are you doing in this? God, I don't want to waste this difficulty. God, what are you doing in this? What are you wanting to teach me or grow in me in this situation? That's what a winner says. God, how is this adversity for my good? Is it to get me to rely more on you and less on my wealth? Is it, is it to get me to put my joy more in who you are instead of this thing that, that COVID has taken away from me that I haven't been able to do in a year? God, how can this situation result in my good and greater godliness? What needs to die in me and what needs to grow in me? It's interesting, that word, that stripped, which, which is the word that's used there in Colossians 2, Jesus stripped, he disarmed the powers. It's actually the exact same word that he will use in the next chapter about us. He says in Colossians 3, verse is eight. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves. That's that same word. Rid is you must strip yourselves. You must take off all, um, all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. You have stripped yourself with its practices. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Take off anger, malice, Rage, put on uh, humility, gentleness, compassion, patience. These are all kind of relational terms, aren't they? And he's talking about relationships with one another. Because, you know what, people that, people that um, feel like they're losers or they're worried about being losers, they, they, they feel like they, they, need to, uh, they need to kind of jockey for their position. They have to be a winner, not a loser. Right? And so they have to make sure that they get the recognition that they're due. They get the affirmation that they believe is theirs. They need to come out on top. They need to get that for themselves. They need to be a winner, not a loser. But what would, what would life look like in relationships and situations and conflict if you knew that you were already a winner in Jesus? You didn't need to become something, secure something from anybody else. You were a winner in Christ. You were not a loser. It would change how you approach situations and people. I mean, this actually just kind of hit me during the first service as I was preaching. You know, Jesus came to Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? And you remember what happened, right? He got struck down off the horse. He was blinded. And did Jesus destroy Paul? How did he conquer Paul? He converted Paul. I mean, Paul, in his very person, is the embodiment of this. Uh, I was the enemy, and now I was made a slave of God. That's the work of Christ. We need to clothe ourselves in Christ. If you know who you are in Him, what He has secured for you, then you don't need to pursue and to kind of protect your position, your recognition, your place, to feel like you are a winner. Because he's already won it for you. You didn't earn it and you can't lose it. So let me ask you. 
Would you give a winner's mentality? Because you're going through something right now. And I don't know what you're going through, but I know you're going through something. Maybe it's a little something or maybe it's a big something. I don't know. God knows. But you are facing difficulty. You are facing adversity in, in some way in your life. Are you facing that as a winner? With a winner's mentality, not viewing that thing just as a stumbling block to crush to rid out of your life, but as a stepping stone to greater strength. We are people of the cross, right? We do wear the cross. We do hold high the cross. We are the people that believes that death can bring life. You know, in, in sports after a big victory, what do they normally do in the locker room, right? They break out the champagne, or the bubbly, and um, they celebrate their victory with drink. That's normally what happens. Um, and it kind of got me think, thinking about what we're doing together here now as, um, as we celebrate Christ's death on the cross for us, His death and His resurrection. And it got me thinking, you know what, this is really no different than that. You know, communion for us, it's kind of like a victory celebration. Jesus has secured our victory. In Him we are winners. And now we take this cup and we eat this bread in celebration of our victory. So this is a reminder of who we are by virtue of Christ and the victory that He has secured for us. And so if you want to take that bread and get that ready, you're welcome to. I had said before, I think that... um, Paul quoted in that passage in Romans 8, he quoted Psalm 44 about being sheep who are led to the slaughter all day long. And um, that's, and if you don't have a, if you didn't get one of those little communion kits when you came in, if you just kind of raise your hand, they'll bring you one. You know, to the people, they knew their Bibles. This was like uh, singing the first verse, uh, first line of a song. They, they, they knew the whole song. The whole song came to mind. And that's what Paul was doing there. He just quoted this one statement in Psalm 44, and then the whole psalm would have come to their mind, and it's a dark psalm. These people were going through really, really dark things, but they say this in Psalm 44. Verse 7, 6, 7, and 8. I just want to share these words. May these be our words as we go uh, to take communion together. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies, God. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Amen. Before we take the bread, which is on top of your cup, I just want to invite you into a moment of prayer to take a moment to thank God for the victory that He has given you through His Son, Jesus. He's done it all for you. He's won it. Give Him thanks. On the night He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He broke it. And He said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you. Remember me every time you eat of it together. 
Let's celebrate. As you prepare to take the cup and kind of gently take that foil off the top, I just invite you right now to be thinking of that difficulty that you're facing in your life right now. What's the biggest thing? What's the biggest adversity in your life right now? Close your eyes and think of that thing. But only close your eyes after you remove the wrapper off your cup. And when that thing comes to mind, I just want you to say, God, I thank you that you've already won that battle. Help me to trust in that and help me to use this as a, not just as a stumbling block, but as a stepping stone to greater strength. Take a moment and ask God that. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me every time you drink of it together. Let's remember. I invite you to stand as I pray and then we'll close our service with uh, worship. God, we thank you that in your love for us you have defeated everything that stood between you and us. Lord, you did it all. You paid for our sin. You made a way for us to have life. You secured our joy. You secured our peace. And you've done it all through your Son. And we just thank you for that victory that you have won for us, Lord. Help us to rest in that as we go into our week. We go into Monday and the rest of the week. And as we face these challenging situations, this adversity, Lord, I, I just pray that we wouldn't just try to conquer. We're not conquerors. We are more than conquerors. God, we just pray that you would use that in our life. You would use that weakness to make us strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.